coming up in today's Film Disruptors. What's important for people to know who are artists is like the most important thing that you can do and really the only thing that you can do is just to tell your own story. And I think when you do that is when things really work. Hello and welcome to season two of Film Disruptors. My name is Alex Stoltz and this is a show about the artists and entrepreneurs redefining storytelling and sharing their insights and strategies with you. And in this episode, I'm very happy to welcome Jessica Loretti to the show. Jessica is the global head of Riot Studios, the award-winning global creative studio, which is part of the Oath Group, which owns Yahoo, Tumblr, amongst others. Jessica travels the world working with some of the biggest brands to create new films, stories, and experiences. And what this means is that she is right at the cutting edge of new storytelling techniques, technologies, and distribution. I connected with Jessica recently from her home in Brooklyn on what, judging from the delightful bird song you'll hear in the background, was a very pleasant morning there. I was actually fortunate enough to speak to her on the day she announced her departure from Riot. So we get to hear firsthand about what is next for Jessica and her journey. And principally, we explore the forefront of new storytelling from AR and VR, or MR, as Jessica explained to me, and new distribution strategies for branded films. I certainly learned a lot from this interview, and I hope you will too. If you're enjoying the show or just want to find out more, there's a couple of ways to stay in touch. Firstly, subscribe on iTunes. Just click subscribe on iTunes to get the latest episodes as soon as they drop. You can also sign up for updates of a home of Film Disruptors. That's www.alexstoltz.com. That's S-T-O-L-Z. Just enter your email address to receive all the latest Film Disruptors news and episodes straight to your inbox. And this is also where you can access previous episodes, find out more about our featured guests, and get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. So that just leaves me to say thank you for listening. And now I'm going to hand you over to Jessica Loretti. And I started the show by asking Jessica about her experiences in bringing brands and storytellers together. Yeah, I mean, I actually, before Purpose, I worked at Vice, and that was back in 2010 when it was still kind of the early days. Um, sort of as an aside, I feel I've always worked at companies that were coming out of their startup phase. They were just sort of just in the middle of like when they went from a startup to like kind of blew up to a much larger company. And that was certainly my experience at Vice. I would say you could really credit them with the um, invention, if you will, of branded content. They were really the first ones to do it. And when I started working there, I started working on the Noisy Channel <clears throat> launch, which is their music channel. Um, and everything that we did was branded, but it was really just docs about artists and musicians and filmmakers and things like that. 
And I think that there was at that time, the branded content kind of evolution came out of a brand's desire to understand millennials, right? That's when people first started using that word millennials. You started seeing that everywhere. Um, and brands kind of felt like out of touch with younger people and, and also in digital media. And they didn't understand how to use the digital space. They were coming from more traditional kind of print and broadcast backgrounds. Um, you know, advice was there to kind of show them the way and say, Hey, look, we know how to reach these people. And this is a way, this is a format. This is like a tool that you can use to advertise. that doesn't really feel as much like advertising as you're used to. So I think that that has been going on for, well, that was like 2010. So that's been going on for the greater part of the decade, but it really just continues to grow and grow as I kind of call it like, we're at a phase of peak content um, because there's just so much everywhere coming at you. You know, I was talking to somebody yesterday and they were like, you know, I was like on a news site the other day, try, you can't even read a story anymore because there are so many pop-up ads, so many different things happening. It's like, you can't even scroll through and read. So that like, that kind of like interruption is very annoying to people and is not working, right? You're not providing value to your consumer. I mean, I really believe that the future of advertising is about creating products and services and experiences that make people's lives better. Um, I mean, I think that as you see the kind of fundamental increase in um how big brands are and how much control they have kind of within our society, I think that they need to take responsibility for that. And, um, you know, it is their responsibility to provide positive services and experiences for their consumers. And so I think that what you're seeing through the social media revolution is that People will call you out now when you're not doing that. So you'll see that's why brands now are like, okay, wait, we have to believe in something. We have to care about something because not only do, is it good for business, you know, the whole like doing well by doing good. Um, there's tons of data around that, that like consumers will pay more for products that have some kind of social good lens. Um, but that also, if you don't do it, you're going to hear from people about it and it, it becomes like a press nightmare. I think some people who are doing it well, I mean, there's the obvious, like the Toms of the world and the REIs and, uh, you know, Patagonia's and, and people like that who kind of play in that space. But I think if you look at, I mean, in New York, we have the city bikes, you know, I mean, I don't know what, there's not really a strong connection between a bike share program and a bank other than like, you know, a tangential sense of like freedom. <laughs> so it's like, it's not really on the nose branding, but, but by Citibank providing city bikes for New York city, it's like advertising everywhere all over the city for them and it's a great service that it's providing for society and i think that marriage is like the future of advertising hmm. 
quick aside, uh, just, <laughs> just a curiosity, were you at Vice uh, around the time of the Intel partnership or was that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's what Noisy was definitely a part of. So wow. they launched okay. with um, Creators was the first uh, Intel partnership, Yeah. which I worked on some of that as well. But I, you know, I used to be in a band and so when um, I needed, I like, came home. It was funny. It was like my 30th birthday and I was really, really broke. Um, I had just come home from a tour in Europe and I didn't have any money. Like I had to borrow money from my mom so that I could go to dinner for my 30th birthday with my friends. And the next day I like was asking a friend like, Oh God, can you get me a job? I need a job, like any job. I will take any job right now. And he was working at vice and he was the one who connected me. And so I went in for a meeting and they were like, Oh, you're in a band. You've directed music videos. You've done all this stuff. You'd be a great fit for noisy. And so I started like that next week as a video editor there. Um, and on that, on that platform. And so that was sponsored by Dell and Intel. There was like a partnership there, all of that stuff that, that mm. we did. Mm. Uh, you, you may not be able to confirm or, or deny this, but there was this, there's this story, amazing story I heard about, I think it was during the, the sort of courting period between Intel and Vice, where Vice uh, allegedly t- t- moved moved offices just for a, f- a few days to give the uh, t- to much plusher offices to make it to give the impression that uh, it wasn't just like <laughs> just a, a scrappy startup. It was established. Yeah. Uh, is that yeah? It, did that? Yeah, there that was happen? in the New Yorker article that came out recently. That was before my time, so okay. I. I- can't okay. um, confirm it. I wasn't around, but sure. it sounds like something they would do. <laughs> right. okay. That was brilliant. Um, uh, it's, it's highly believable. I'll yeah, right. That. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so, yeah, that's really interesting. Going back to the the brand side of things, do you see though that, that it's struggle for some brands to kind of make that shift? Because I think what you were saying is it almost needs to be an internal shift it can't it they can't fake it so much anymore they have they have to say okay this is you know there's an authenticity here we we believe in protecting like with patagonia you know protect which is which is such an authentic fit protecting the natural world for example what brands have a hard time understanding is that it's not about them that's that's the fundamental shift that they have to get over is like when they're working on like advertising campaigns, they're sitting there being like, well, what about the the messaging and the strategy? And we need to have our name in the first 30 seconds. And it's like that kind of thinking only really comes about because like somebody, whoever's making those decisions needs the person above them to like approve their decisions. It's not about like, what's the right thing to do. The right, if you really were thinking about your consumers, you you would not say like, Oh, you know what we should do? You know what consumers would really love is to like be like hit over the head a million times with our brand messaging. They'd love that. Right. <laughs> like it's pretty obvious, you know, it's, it's not like, brain surgery or something like quantum physics. It's really just like, if you actually care about your consumer and actually think about them, then you would make something of value to them, something that they might actually like, something that they might actually want to watch. 
Um, so I think it's like, that's, that's kind of what we always try to tell brands, you know, that you need to lay off the branding and really double down on just storytelling um, and connecting to people about things that they care about and things that they're passionate about. And if you do that, you will be way more successful than just like beating people over the head with brand messaging. Mm-hmm. Can you give me an example of a a story which has worked well in that kind of partnership? I think um, we have one film that we did with Gatorade um, that I think is a really great example. So Gatorade had their tagline is win from within. And so our team pitched to them, you know, instead of making an ad spot or even like a branded content piece, it's really more like a 10 minute documentary film. So we pitched them a story of, um, an inner city rugby team in Memphis. Um, you know, rugby is not really a traditional American sport. And when it was introduced in this community, like completely transformed these kids lives to the point where they were getting college scholarships, became leaders in their communities. And so that film, we then went on to do sort of a non-traditional distribution of. Um, it premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival. It screened at hundreds of film festivals around the world and then was broadcast on ESPN. And when you think like that in this kind of non-traditional way and you think about partnerships and think about how you can bring in a lot of different entities together together, Um, you know, not so transactionally, but really more kind of decentralized in your thinking, you know, we could essentially get them audiences all around the world that were offline that they had not been reaching before, as well as basically get a free 10 minute spot on television just by using a new format. Um, you know, it's like when you have, when you make an ad, you have to pay for its placement. If you make art or if you make a film, you can get free PR from it. You can get earned media as opposed to paid media. Um, so it's just a different kind of strategy and and way of thinking, but that's one example of some work that we've done at riot that I think is, um, really smart. And we've, you know, present that to clients a lot as a great case study of how they should be thinking. I think that's a that's a really interesting example. I'm really glad you you covered the distribution piece because I guess that is the uh, that's that's the other part of the equation, isn't it? That you, you it's it's great to make a, a a cool piece of content, but it's how how it's distributed and got in front of audiences. Yeah, I mean, it's really one of the things that clients always forget about because it's like the last thing in the process, but it's really a whole other beast of its own. And I used to have this joke that was like, it's not field of dreams, you know, just because we make a video and we put it up on YouTube, like doesn't mean anybody watches it, doesn't mean anybody comes to it. And again, when you're looking at that kind of peak content that I talk about, You know, it's like there's so much out there. I mean, the gates of distribution and publishing and media have just been flooded and opened with democratization. Anybody can be uploading stuff. And there's so much stuff. It's like really hard to be found and be heard and, and, you know, to find a, find your right audience within that way. And, you know, a lot of companies, 
make money off of making you pay for it. Facebook, Google, you know, that's like, that's, that's how they make money. So it's like, it's all part of this kind of larger system, you know, and in order to really attract people's eyes and really do something out, you know, just have to do something different. You know, you have to think differently about it. You have to do something that gets people's attention, whether that's through kind of non-traditional formats, um, by using new technology like VR and AR, by using offline and online strategies. You know, you just have to you just have to try something else. Is this the direction of travel? More brands partnering with storytellers and is it is it always necessary to have an agency like Riot in between the two? No, I mean I think a lot of brands are building their own internal content studios and they're also going direct to influencers and artists. I think that was kind of like the big wave a couple of years ago. People started doing that and kind of moving in that direction because I think one day they looked up and they were like, "Wait a second, why do we pay Okay, wait, we pay a creative agency, we pay a media agency, then all the media companies have these internal content studios, then all of the media agencies have these internal content studios, and it's just so much, it's like kind of crazy. And then again, just in that like, that epic challenge to get closer and closer to their audience, you know, started using, utilizing, um, influencers and then they need an influencer agency to reach those people. And, you know, but you've seen, there was also kind of like a rise in production companies where production companies were like, wait a second, we can kind of, instead of being on the back end of the deal and just executing things, we can get closer to the point of sale and really do the creative work because all we need is a roster of directors and we've got all the crew and everything we need on, on that backside. We just need the creative, you know, kind of vision to, to set that up. So that was another thing that kind of started happening a couple of years ago. And a lot of production companies have moved in that direction and, and had a ton of success with that. So I think it's just like the, it used to kind of be, I think the, the 2010s are sort of an interesting decade where it sort of feels like a lot and nothing has happened at the same time. And I think if you look at these kind of, you know, advertising and media and now more so tech and also Hollywood, these four different industries sort of are experiencing both inter-industry disruption and mergers and consolidations. And then you're seeing those four pillars of industries also merging with each other. So now it's like, it's not enough to be a media company. It's not enough to be a media conglomerate. You got to be like a tech media movie studio. Like that's the only way to compete is like to do everything. And you see all these kind of mergers. There's one, um, I'm a judge on for a festival called the brand film festival. And that's been another trend that's rise kind of similar to the Gatorade film that I described is like a lot of, um, a lot of, brands want to get into the the TV space or the film space. Um, that's more kind of Hollywood space. I think you can see that that's probably in parallel to the rise of Hulu and Netflix and, you know, Amazon video and things like that, as well as 
kind of need a presence on every single one of these different platforms where people are. It kind of feels, uh, I, I imagine for a an emerging filmmaker or storyteller, it can feel a bit overwhelming <laughs> and a bit like, how, how on earth can I get my project made and 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 then and as part of that how can how can it make an impact how can it cut through it must be really hard just be starting out today i mean i think that a little bit of tough love here it's sort of like unless you're independently wealthy or have access to people who are independently wealthy it's pretty hard to really make a stamp in um in the industry you definitely have to work your way up. But I think that what's important for people to know who are artists is like the most important thing that you can do. And really the only thing that you can do is just to tell your own story. And I think when you do that is when things really work. I think if you look at a lot of people who are especially young people who kind of like, oh, their first film was like a Sundance hit or whatever or something like that. Like, first of all, that doesn't happen to pretty much anybody at all. There's like a delusion about the young artist, which is just like not really true. Like most people don't become successful until their thirties. I mean, I, I tell kids all the time, like your life does not begin to 30. Just like enjoy it. Stop. Like take the pressure off yourself because it's just not going to happen. Um, but the other piece of that is really telling your own story. So if you look at like Lena Dunham, I think is a great example. Look at her film, tiny furniture. It's a story of her life. And I think when you do that, people, connect with it because it's so emotional and you're the only person in the world who can tell that story and share that perspective. And, and that really resonates with people. So those are the things I tell people a lot. Um, I do a lot of talks and kind of like people want to know, like, what's the secret to your success and things like that. And I always tell people to relax. I mean, I think I had a lot of good advice when I was getting out of college. You know, one professor told me like, you know, look, some people are the tortoise and some people are the hare. Like you could be working on this for your entire life or you could blow up and fizzle out and, you know, have a completely different life later on. Like life is long and and just be okay with that and kind of go with the flow. And then I think the other piece of it is really just to – just to tell your story and be really honest about that. I think that's sometimes hard for young people to do. So they don't want to do that. They want to hide behind characters or hide behind stories. And I think once you get to the point, um, you know, I don't know, maybe it's maturity or if it's comfort level or what it is, you know, really digging into that part of your you know, your psyche or your soul and sharing that with other human beings. I mean, that's powerful. Like that's what art is, you know, the conversation about the human experience. And that's where you want to be living. You're listening to Film Disruptors and I'm in conversation with storyteller Jessica Loretti. If you are enjoying the show, there's a couple of ways you can stay in touch. Firstly, subscribe on iTunes, or you can subscribe to our email list, and you can find that at alexstoltz.com. In this section, I asked Jessica 
where she would put her money if she had to bet right now on the success of either virtual reality or AR, augmented reality. Well, that's an easy answer. It's definitely with AR, a hundred percent. There's like, I don't think there's any debate about that across the industry. I think when you kind of look at the trajectory of the two, I, I sometimes describe it as like they have different problems. Um, they almost have like opposite problems. So VR, I think was like 2016 was like the year of VR and 360, like blew up. Like it was everywhere. It was like every single panel. It was like everything that people were talking about, every new media company, every brand wanted a VR film, all of this stuff. Um, and then the next year, 2017 was really the year of AR. And I think you could see that coming out of CES in January. And then by the end of 2017, AR really got scale. So, you know, all the major tech companies released AR kit, AR core, all these different things that made um, it possible for developers to, to create uh, triggerless augmented reality experiences. So the problem, so AR has the scale and it also has the mainstream adoption. So right now, the only barrier that AR has is that people don't know what it is, right? So if you walk down any street and you said to a random person, hey, have you ever, um, have you ever used AR before? Or do you know what AR is? And they would say no. And, and then you say, well, actually you do because Instagram filters are AR and Snapchat filters are AR. And, you know, there's all these things that you're already using on your phone and um, are very ubiquitous and super easy to use and integrated into people's lifestyles that are AR. So AR has like this sort of education issue and maybe branding issue that it's dealing with. But really, it has the scope and scale to... Honestly, I think, and, and this maybe sounds a bit grand, but really transform human civilization. Like some of the stuff that people are doing with augmented reality in like the healthcare sector, for example, it's extraordinary. Like imagine there's a kind of well-known sort of anecdote about like a, a medevac coming out of like the Grand Canyon in a helicopter. And by using augmented reality, the first responders there can be like talking to a surgeon back in a hospital and, you know, potentially save someone's life in a situation where you just would not be able to do so before. There's also like incredible things happening and like kind of like a boring like B2B side where people like Boeing and GE are using augmented reality to, you know, increase productivity in the manufacturing space. So it's just like it has such massive potential outside of just entertainment or our kind of storytelling. Virtual reality, on the other hand, has a different problem where the, the technology has not developed fast enough, really. So there are tons of amazing headsets that provide incredible, mind-blowing you know, experiences in a virtual reality scape, but they're really, really expensive and not that many people have them. So if you've ever tried the Microsoft HoloLens, for example, it's like, well, blow your mind. I mean, it's a computer that sits on your head. It's, it's extraordinary. And, it, you know, it creates holograms in your physical space that you're in. It, it's really will like, 
you know, people who see it for the first time are like, really their minds are blown, but it's like a $5,000 headset or something. Right. And so the things that are more mainstream and more accessible to mass audiences, you know, like the cardboard or maybe like the Samsung gear or some other things, um, the, the, the quality is just not quite, it doesn't have that mind blowing experience that you have when you're really in like a good headset. Um, so there in the VR space, I think a lot of, a lot of people are definitely like haters on VR and they're like, Oh, it's just like 3d TV, which like maybe it is, I don't know. Um, but I think it's pretty cool. And I think that people like it and they will continue to like it. It just is taking a little bit longer. I also think that if you look at some of the biggest companies in the world, a lot of them have put some of their biggest bets on, you know, both VR and AR, or maybe what will eventually just be called, you know, mixed reality. So MR, some people, you know, want to call it XR, things like that. Like, and it's sort of all just lumped into one sum. But they're putting a pretty big bet on this, and I'm pretty sure that it will work because of the, they'll make sure that it does because it's going to be a key part of their business moving forward. I think people are still a little scared of VR, though. There's this dystopian, you know, kind of fear of, like, being lost in a virtual world. I think there's so many um, – I don't know if it's, like – if it's a mix of new tech as well as, you know, the kind of populist politics we're seeing around the world right now. And you see that those fears and thoughts are weighing heavy on people's mind. And you see that reflected in a lot of entertainment, right? You look at like Westworld or you look at Handmaid's Tale and, and you know, Ready Player One, the new film by Steven Spielberg, is takes place in a virtual reality world. Um, so I think it's, it's something that people are like a little afraid of. And and you can see this too, when people put headsets on for the first time, it's so funny. I think I do a little less of this now, but the first year at Riot, we did so many demos of VR because it was really all about education. And most people, they just didn't even know what it was or hadn't seen it before and things like that. And we'd put a headset on somebody and they'd, they'd like, look the tiniest bit to the left and like the tiniest bit to the right. And then they take the headset off and they'd be like, okay, I'm good. And was like, like, no, 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 wait, put it back on. Okay. Look up, look down, look behind you. And then they're like, Oh, Whoa. Oh my God. This is so cool. So I think people feel like a little uncomfortable still and, and need just like a little bit more time to kind of get into that space and, and feel that level of comfort with like a virtual reality world. Mm. That's a really fascinating overview. Uh, thank you. Uh, uh, so uh, Jessica, today's, uh, I, it's, it's quite a momentous day. I understand because uh, you've, you've announced that you you're moving on from riot. How, how, how are you feeling? I feel, I feel sad to be um, honest. Um, it was a really hard decision and I had been talking to Bryn a lot about, um, you know, what our future was and what we thought we could continue to grow together. And, you know, ultimately 
I just sort of felt like I had kind of done what I could do there. Um, I'm going to miss the people so much. I mean, I have the best team in the world. I mean, it's easy for me to say that because I built the team and I hired them all. Um, but we really all love each other so much and we have such a great work environment where, you know, we're all friends and kind of hang out outside of work and stuff too. So I'm really going to miss the people, but professionally I just felt kind of like, I was ready for a new challenge and ready for a new chapter for me. And, um, I've been doing a ton of speaking engagements over the course of this role, which has been so incredible to be able to travel around the world and talk to thousands of people about, you know, the future of media and the future of technology and storytelling and all these themes. And, you know, after one talk that I did, someone came up to me and said, you know, you should, have you ever thought about writing a book before? Like your story's really inspiring. And, um, it just kind of clicked with me and I was like, that's a great idea. And so I just wanted to start to pursue that. So, you know, as you mentioned earlier, this has been a pretty, you know, we used to describe what we were doing as like, we were on a spaceship to Mars and, uh, we weren't sure if we were going to blow up in the outer hemisphere or if we were going to land and colonize. Um, we definitely landed and colonized Mars through, through this past two years, but, um, it turns out that that's pretty tiring. So, um, I need a little bit of a break and I want to work on some personal projects and things that I'm really passionate about, um, and kind of see what's next for me. I'm really interested in blockchain, um, and have been thinking a lot about what you could do with blockchain and media and how there could be some interesting opportunities there. I'm also really interested in AI as a kind of new technology, mostly because I think that there's going to be such a rush to get AI into the marketplace that there will be a lack of consideration about whether or not we should do it or how it should be done. Um, that's another thing I talk a lot about is creating human centered tech and how important that is to be really thoughtful um, about how we develop these new technologies and implement them. You know, I think that there was out of all the developer conferences this year, they're so excited about how I think it's the Google assistant, the new AI assistant says, um, and does all these things to mimic real life so that when your AI assistant schedules a hair appointment for you, um, the person on the phone doesn't know that they're talking to AI. That, that to me is not an achievement to be proud of. That to me is terrifying. Um, and I think that there's a important responsibility, um, you know, maybe even call it like a philosophy and thoughtfulness that needs to be put into these things. So I think that that's a really important space. And I think one of the things too, that I've thought a lot about after getting into the VR space, because to be honest, I had never done any VR work before. I knew Bryn and and he thought I'd be a great fit and kind of brought me in to do this. And I had to, he told me on the phone, he's like, you're going to have to become a VR expert overnight. And I, it was really true because on my first day, it was the day of the Orlando Pulse nightclub shooting. And, um, so I had to learn how to use VR and how to, uh, make a compelling 360 news piece in a breaking news environment around a traumatic event for the Huffington Post and like make it go viral was basically the expectation. 
And so, you know, having to learn all this stuff overnight, it really got me thinking about how important it is to be a part of the conversation. You know, I think a lot of people have the attitude of like, oh, well, like I'm not into tech or like I'm, you know, skeptical of these things or what about the ethics? And and I invite those people more so than anything to get involved because I think that we need those voices and we need that criticism and we need that perspective to be at the table and not just a bunch of cheerleaders, you know, trying to get something out into market to make money off of it as soon as possible, but to really be thinking about, okay, not just can we do this, but should we? So those are the kind of spaces I'm interested in exploring next. And um, I'm just going to take a little time off and just kind of relax a little bit and slow down. Um, life in New York is pretty crazy. And I've been traveling so much for the past two years. Once a month, basically, I did an international trip. Um, so I'm exhausted. So I'm just going to take a little time for myself and work on this book proposal and pursue that. And, um, and then I don't know, kind of see what's out there and what's next for me. So that was storyteller Jessica Loretti of Riot Studio in interview. So if you want to find out more about Jessica, listen to other episodes or get in touch please visit www.alexstoltz.com and if you are enjoying the show please subscribe on itunes and do feel free to leave a review so that's it for this episode i'd just like to say thank you again for listening and look forward to seeing you again soon